All right, we're live. All right. Make sure I could hear us. All right, good deal. Mute this. Hey, guys. Uh, what camera am I, though? There I am. Um, I don't know what episode this is of the Guru Presario Strategy and Media podcast, but um, certain issues just kind of come in the, in the past couple of weeks, and I really felt it was important to do a podcast and invite some guests over, good friends of mine, um, and again, and really just kind of talk about the subject of what's happening with, you know, within the whole movement in terms of the U.S. I think, uh, I think the, as you, as you could see in the, um, in the production, the actual name of the production, um, it's recognizing, uh, recognizing the American divide, systems, policy, racism, and culture. Um, to me, it's just, it's just important to bring this subject to light. I know there's a lot of people out there on social media that, you know, everyone is heated. We, we, we all feel a certain way. Emotions are very high. But the, the one trigger that, that just kind of threw me over and said, you know, I have, to, I have to create a conversation around this topic was seeing people that I grew up with attacking each other. Um, you know, it, I, I, I saw a lot of people that I went through high school with and just kind of seeing that, hey, we're not friends anymore because this and this and that and we can't agree to disagree. Um, to me, that's not necessarily a healthy, uh, healthy conversation or healthy context to kind of put forward and put into light into the social media world. So uh, fast forward to today, I have invited uh, some very good friends, my friend Greg, Greg Valdez. Uh, he's a writer here in San Antonio. Brought him on as a co-host today. I have Abel Longoria here. He's an entrepreneur here in San Antonio as well to, uh, to simulate the conversation a bit. I've also brought in my great friend, Brandon Logan, social entrepreneur here in town as well. Um, to bring this topic to light, um, what I want to start with is I'm going to let I'm going to let Brandon. I'm going to let you self introduce yourself, um, kind of where you come from, if you're from San Antonio, and just kind of give a little on your backstory, and that way that way the audience could get to get to understand where where uh, Brandon Logan's from. Is there anything you want to add about yourself before you? Uh, no, I mean, what do you mean? I mean, anything at all personal? I mean, what, what about your background altogether? You know, just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. So um, my background is I was I was born in Mexico. I moved to the states. I was maybe about three months old. I am Mexican. I am Hispanic. I uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. I, I I keep a very unbiased position on a lot of issues. My um, my take is if it makes sense for humanity, then that's that's the way to go, right? Any kind of policy, whether it's whether it's coming from the administration, whether it's economic policy, if it if it's not for the better good of humanity, then and then I don't adhere to it. And and quite quite honestly, I take it I take it very personal when I hear people adopt you know adopt things that that hey you have two options. The better option is this for humanity, and the other option is this. And and really to favor to favor one group in my opinion isn't always the best thing i think you gotta you gotta look at the betterment of everyone in the situation and uh, yeah so that's my backstory I, I run guru presario guru presario is known as a, we're a media strategy company here in san antonio uh, we have a very select select group of clients that we work with and um, yeah apart from guru presario client client work this is uh be, being, you know, like my friend Brandon here, kind of a social entrepreneur and bringing these conversations to light is something that I uh, that I try to focus on. So we're here. Brandon, I'll let you start. Sorry for that. <laughs> oh, no worries. Well, Mal, thank you for having me. I think this is a, a very important discussion. Uh, so very timely. Feel honored to be a part of the conversation. 
A uh, little background about me. Um, grew up in a, I'm a first generation Texan. I think that's important to establish. Grew up in a lower middle class family, very diverse neighborhood. Um, was surrounded by a two parent family structure and uh, was just really aspirational in my thoughts. And, um, you know, I really, growing up, I felt like there were some voids. And as an adult, I've been working towards uh, eliminating those voids through my work. And uh, it's, um, you know, sports was a key driver for me uh, getting to and through college. Um, but I wouldn't allow that to define me. It was really important as a black male uh, who lacked uh, black leadership in the community to uh, pattern after uh, was to not allow my physical abilities extend beyond my intellectual capabilities. So there was an investment, intentional investment on my time of understanding who I am and how I can contribute on a more broad, broad uh, spectrum. And uh, so those gaps of not seeing an African-American uh, that had aspirations behind, uh, beyond athletics and entertainment uh, really served as an opportunity for me to fill that gap. And uh, my primary focus uh, through that space was youth education in underserved communities. And that really is what guides my work. Uh, I can balance that up against my activities to make sure that I'm doing purpose-driven work. Uh, so I'm grateful that I found my purpose. Um, and working that diligently day in and day out is important. And that allows me to get some traction and, and create some uh, success along the way for the lives of other people that have allowed me to speak into their life. So I'm sure we'll be able to, to, to weave in other elements of my story uh, throughout the conversation, but hopefully it just gives a little background and context as to who I am. Thanks, Brandon. Go ahead, Abel. Uh, yes, my name's Abel. That was awesome, Brandon. Thank you. And I have grown up here in San Antonio as well. I am a third generation Texan. Uh, but my family, they are immigrants. Uh, my grandparents really, they were the ones that came from nothing. My dad busted his butt, provided a wonderful life for me in a, in a great neighborhood. Um, you know, I'm here today because I've seen what's going on. I have truthfully not been very politically engaged uh, my entire life. I've had little, little stints uh, briefly, not very long ago. So I'm starting to learn, <clears throat> and that's really what I'm here. I'm still forming opinions. I've been doing a lot of research and I've been learning that what I had priorly believed, um, I don't know if it's necessarily true, but there's a lot of holes in it and I'm, I'm here to find the truth. And, um, you know, I think having these conversations is how we do that, one-on-ones and uh, don't be afraid to take some heat. Don't be afraid to disagree. Um, I think, you know, don't be, that's, that's what we need. We need more people who are just willing to speak their mind and, and come out and reason with people. So. Thank you, Abel. I'm Gregory Valdez. I am a writer. I do advertising and marketing, things of that sort, um, content, storytelling, most importantly. And I'm from Houston, Texas originally. My dad is from Monterrey. I'm like a first and a half generation Texan and American. My mom's from Hitchcock, Texas. It's a tiny town outside of Galveston. It's very um, bum. Never heard of it, man. Yeah, it's, it's one of those places. Uh, I, I grew up in Houston, though. I grew up in like a very upcoming, like middle-class neighborhood family. And being Hispanic, it was strange. Growing up through the 90s, it's like a lot changing about the way people thought about Hispanics and the way Hispanics could actually make it. But I think just for enough information, like socioeconomically, 
grew up relatively middle, middle class. Dad um, never graduated high school, doesn't have a GED. My mom went to cosmetology school for one semester. She teaches now, and he is a mechanic still in Houston. And um, I am the first out of, like many of cousins to go to college and things like that. St. Mary's here in San Antonio, class of 2013. And most importantly, I'm here to discuss with y'all the American divide, of course, but also like help moderate conversation and discussion and get into other sides of the conversation, explore nuances together and make sure that we're guided, I guess, non-biasedly. I'm apolitical, I am non-bipartisan and I don't call myself an independent, more importantly. Uh, I've endured racism, um, homosexuality as a part of being bisexual and other things along the way, but learning from all that, it's how to listen and if there's compromise to be had. With that said, I'll get us going, or you can get us going with the first sort of like. Yeah, yeah. So it's important as you're viewing this. I think it's important to keep a very open mind um, into into what we're discussing. I know. I know the tendency is that emotions get high, and and we want to you know jump jump in ahead of ourselves and maybe stir something up. But uh, to the viewers at home, um, just keep an open mind in the conversation that's being had and the the. Uh, the purpose of having this out there. Um, so I'll start. I'll start with. We have a few topics on on hand today, and the first topic that I have um, is really tackling the issue that I opened this dialogue with is the issue of reckless behavior. And I say reckless behavior because, again, there there's a lot of things happening on the social media world that people are just putting information out, whether whether they fact checked it or not, um, but they're putting things out or they're trying to. They're trying to steer the conversation to their followers in a certain way. And to me, that's kind of scary, right? Because at the end of the day, people are, people are watching everything that people are doing. And I think if we take the conversation in a certain direction and enough people adopt it, then, you know, that's, in my opinion, that's maybe, that's maybe what incites people to act in a very reckless manner. Oh, uh, what are you seeing out there right now? Um, are you the top three... Yeah. Points of discussion on your feed every day. So, for one, um, this past week or last week, um, the president, of course, walked out in front of the White House. And from media reports that have come in, is that um, the media reports put out that, hey, th there was people that were gassed or tear gassed, and they were booted out of an area for the opportunity for a, for a fo uh, photograph in front of St. John's Church which um, to me that was, I mean, coming from, if, if various media groups are saying, and, and this isn't just CNN, I, I, I don't watch just one media group. I, I watch CNN, I watch Vice, I watch Fox News, I watch a lot of news agencies, but from the media sources that I was getting it was that this really did happen. There, there was people that were gassed out there and the, the um, the backdrop to that was that, oh, well, those, pe those people were burning down the church, which the whole burning thing happened the day before. So I had a, I had a real struggle with that. And, and so with that backdrop in mind, I saw a post online where this individual had shared a post, and the post was touting how uh, Donald Trump had walked out into, into the street in front of riots and... Um, just really, really kind of touting the lie, 
the lie of what the situation was. It didn't touch on people being booted out. It said that he was walking out into a riot. So it brought up various issues that, in my opinion, uh, were just, I mean, not in my opinion, they were just untrue. They, they weren't real facts of the situation. And then the background that I got from that was when I, when I confronted this person and I said, hey, this really didn't happen and you're sharing this. And you know the facts were this, this, and this. And then the excuse was, oh, well, I just shared it. Someone else actually wrote the copy for it. And to me, that's not an excuse, right? Because you're, you're still taking the dialogue somewhere. Right. You're taking the dialogue somewhere where it did it. That, those things don't exist, but you're creating a conversation about it. And to me, that's reckless behavior because you're, 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 you're just putting, you're putting things out there that aren't true. Well, I think for you two to begin, like, in your opinion, what happened that day? I'll, I'll start. I'll go ahead. I, I saw that and I was like, wow, what an asshole. Like, you know, what a dick. He sucks. Um, but then I, like I have been, I said, let's go. Let's go do the research before I make this opinion. Um, we can go why I've started doing research. I'd like to talk about that too one in a little bit. But I said, let's go. Let's go look at this. And then from what I read, from what I gathered through my research, listening to all stories, was they did not gas the protesters so he could go take a picture. They gassed the protesters to create a bigger area. The person who actually was in charge of it was in charge of the military, and he didn't even know that Trump was, who was in charge of the perimeter, he didn't even know that Trump was going out there. Trump is just kind of a, a weirdo rebel dude who does what the hell he wants. So he went out there, and the reason he took the picture in front of the church, people can say that it was to clear them out or whatever. Maybe it was. I'm not going to pretend that it wasn't, but the other narrative is he did it because America was terrified. Everyone was calling him a bunker bitch. He's staying in the bunker all night. He's not going to do anything for America. But everyone was actually terrified that he, that our national monument church was being burned down by rioters. So, so the way that some people are taking it, they are looking at it like, hey, he went out there. He didn't gas the rioters. He saw that it was clear. He went out there. He took the picture. And he let people know that he was with them. The church hadn't burned down. And, and he, he had the situation under control. And I think that's good leadership. Let me, if let you want to look at it from that lens, I think that's fantastic leadership. If I can get some clarity on what you heard, what, what you understand is that he did not, he, he had no idea that, that uh, I'm assuming, I think it was the Attorney General Barr is the one who told, um, he ordered the military, I'm assuming, to clear the space out. What you're saying is that in the back end, Donald Trump did not know this, that he, did, he had no idea that Agent, uh, Attorney General Barr had told the military to clear that out he, before he walked out. So when he walked out, he was like, hey, it's clear. Let's, let's just no, do this. No, I don't think that. He probably knew. Okay. But I mean, to say, oh, we're doing this to, to move the rioters, to, you know, I don't think, or the protesters, I don't think that was necessarily the case. It was like, we need to create a safer perimeter. It actually makes a lot of sense. And okay, while we have that, let's go, let's go make a stance and show people America that we're, we're still fighting. We're not gonna let this, we're not gonna let this take over. And because that's what a lot of people on the right are afraid of, is they're afraid of more churches burning down. They're afraid that it's just gonna keep growing and more of that is going to happen. And I mean, I, I, and I understand that. And so I think that's where, from, from what I, I've gathered, I think that's really where I'm coming at it. And you know what, maybe I'm being naive in saying that he, he didn't do it just to, to get them out of the way. I mean, maybe, maybe it was, maybe it was, but still, I mean, if the, if the law says you have to move during a protest, 
you have to move. He's within his rights to be able to, to gas people out, and it sucks, but it's within the law. He's within his rights. And so you're saying it's you're saying that's okay then. Uh, just just to be clarify. From my perspective, I if I want to look at it from the way I'm looking at it, um, I would say it's okay. Now, if if we want to look at it from the other perspective, then I'd probably have some some differences. But based on the research that I've done, maybe I'm being naive. Like I said, maybe I'm just trying to be positive. Um, it seems like in just the narrative that I've been seeing from the left lately also makes me believe they are there to just sow dissent and mistrust and um, they are totally against him and everything he does, no matter what, they're going to frame it like he was doing something terrible or breaking the law or going above and beyond. So I, w I want to, yeah. Brandon, I want to get your take on, uh, on that specific, I don't, and, and I don't know if you have, you know, if you looked into kind of what happened that day or not, and if you didn't, it's okay to just say, hey, honestly, I didn't look into it, but I'd like to get your take on, on you know, how you view that before yeah. we go forward. Sure. Um, interesting subject. Honestly, I wasn't there physically. I don't know the order of events. Um, you have uh, a viewpoint from the news media. You know, I'm, I'm a PBS guy, so I really like to uh, listen to a platform that, that shares straight facts of, of what's happening. But here, here's, the, here's what I will say is, you know, you talked about messages being shared uh, erratically and, and probably incorrectly. Uh, everyone has to remember that their life is a classroom. And so what you're teaching will have an effect on your students. And in this case, your students are your Facebook followers and your friends, right? So you have to be mindful of what you're sharing um, because essentially that's an indirect endorsement of information that you're, you're distributing. With that being said, um, I, I think that it's important to recognize whatever the order of events is, um, the president is missing an opportunity to talk about the real matter. You know, you talk about, you mentioned the right having concerns with churches burning, right? I think this is a great way to weave into the deeper issue. If you look at race, you know, during the civil rights issues in the Deep South in the 60s, you know, black churches being burned was, was very pervasive. And, you know, there was, really wasn't a lot of intervening in that regard. And I will be the first to share with you that I'm not, I'm not interested in the looting and the riot. I, I think that's the wrong approach. But I also think that when we start to focus on the means and the method, method we lose sight of the message. You know, protests have been going on for a very long time. You can go all the way back to you know, the Boston Tea Party, you know. Uh, that was probably the ultimate looting and rioting. But in some respects, that's what defined America. So you have this idea of that was a, an appropriate loot and riot, right, for the advancement of certain subgroups. But then when there's minority groups that take the same action steps, um, you don't get the same outcomes. And, and really what I side with is understanding constitutional amendments and the rights that every American have. There is there's no fundamental problem or illegal activity when it comes to protesting, right? And you're right, you're, you're going to have uh, groups that will focus in on the looting and the rioting. It's unfortunate because, again, you're missing on the message. And hopefully we can get a chance to shift to this conversation, but you can look at uh, 
Colin Kaepernick situation. If we would have been more mindful in understanding what his message was instead of derailing it and to alternate his message to focus on the flag, I think, we'd, I think we could have averted this matter. I this agree. Is, this is 2016. Now we're fast forward to 2020, and we're at the same breaking point. So I think there is a real opportunity um, for us to start thinking about what is the real message, understanding the why, and putting in the backdrop the what. And again, I am, I'm not interested in seeing uh, people's properties being vandalized, but you know what? If I had to pick between the, the life of a human being versus the life of a property, I'm always gonna value the person regardless of race, background. Um, so that's just to, to set a, a level of understanding with who I am and my order of priority, which is people over places. Right. Thank you, Brandon, for sharing that. I think I think uh, you bring uh, you bring across very good points. Uh, Greg, I'm curious to kind of see where you stand on this. I I'm reflecting on what you two have said. One of the things that sticks out to me right off the bat is, like, a certain amount of, um, I guess how do you, how do you want to say it? liability somebody like the president has in a situation where he has a message he wants to send out and has an intention that is mostly positive. Somebody else makes a call and tears a crowd of people to make way for something he wanted to do. Maybe it's his message to go out there and say, you know, actually somebody could, tiered. Could have, could have been to create a bigger perimeter too. Could have right, been. Yeah, it, could have, it could have been his way of saying, you know what, maybe I can be a leader who will step out in front of a crowd who's just been tear gassed to calm them. And you have everyone afterwards, right? I, I would love to hear PBS's take on that actually. To hear like, are we able to talk about this subject in media and say, we don't know actually the events of who told what to do who, but we know he went out there and we know he said this and we know he held that. And we think his message and intent was this. And what I'm, what I'm gonna focus on really quick right there is if you look at a lot of the left sources that I've read, they will definitively say that he did it to go get rid of the protesters because he's a dick president and yada yada. And it's like, but that's me, not let journalism. Me, I don't let me stop you there because in the beginning, I don't know if you remember, but in the beginning of this conversation, I, I wanted to specify that I didn't pick this up from CNN. Um, I don't have cable at my house anymore. I don't have CNN. I picked this up from various news sources that are not necessarily just left. Right. It's, it's, these are very independent journalists that, you know, they work with Vice um, and a number of other ones that are independent, but... Vice is pretty left these days. But, I mean, everyone says, it's, everyone says that everyone's left, right? They say the New York Times is pretty left. They say that, you know, if it's not, if it's not Fox News, it's left. But at the end of the day, it's, you have numerous media sources stating this. What's more important? That protests are happening and then there's violence happening during protests or that we don't know if the president called for tear gas at that protest? I think the protests. And if you look at a lot of the, what the people on the right are saying, they're focused on the right things. I, I think, from my understanding, they want a reason. They want to do what I'm doing here. But the left just wants to focus on how he went out to create dissent from a lot of the people that I see. My bubble that I was in, you, I want people to understand that I was in a very big echo chamber and bubble. And when I've started to kind of post some of these ideas, they just, I just, it went crazy. What did, what did Fox News 
say uh, say about know. this? I don't know. Oh, they no didn't? clue. Okay. Um, but Brandon, what to you? What is more important to talk about? The message again. You know, it, it, you know, people are fundamentally protesting for a reason. Okay. You know, I would just ask the basic question because that's what the protest is about. Does a black life matter? There you go. I just I, I, and, and, it, and if people don't even have the functional maturity to acknowledge that, that's where there's resistance. You know, matter is at the basic level of question, right? It's not saying is a black life superior to the white life. It's just a basic question, does a black life matter? And, and people really struggle to answer that question, which really? is amazing. I, I, which I would is have never guessed that. Well, I mean, if you talked about left and right, and you know, I don't really get into the, the leaning of the politics, but there's obviously a, a counter narrative. All lives matter. I'm sure y'all have heard that, right? right? Right. Right. And I'm sure you've heard many examples where people say, "Okay, well, when we're focused on breast cancer, do we say all lives matters?" Right. They bring they 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 bring up something that's totally so not it, the it, issue. It, it speaks to the deeper issue, which is race. You know, people have a challenge with saying that a black life matter. And that's the curiosity that I have is, why is that so hard to say? You know, everything else in, in American society, when we have an issue, a deep-rooted issue, we call it out by name, right? And, and until all lives can matter, we have to elevate the black life. And I don't need to, to go down uh, this pathway of lecturing, but the black life, from an ancestor standpoint, <laughs> has been very challenging. Right? right? There's no other race that you can suggest has dealt with lynching, has dealt with slavery. You know, that's only part of the black story. And this is a skin that I can't strip, and I'm proud to have it. But it's also something that America has to engage in its truth. Right. And to suggest that, you know, some people have this idea that systemic racism doesn't exist now and never existed before is just a myth that we can't even engage in. And so if people are really wanting to understand how do we move forward as a country, we have to talk about race because that is the issue uh, that has created divisions generation to generation leading up to this point. And I think that we're getting to this inflection point, regardless of your race, that people are fed up with it. And we had this idea that all people are created equal. It's great. Are all people treated equal? That's the next question that has to be answered by American society. And I think America has a lot of baggage. And who has, if you look at race, ethnicity, and you look at any of them as groups, Hispanic, Caucasian, African-American, black, or Pacific Islander, Asian, so on and so forth, who between or among them who has the most baggage, right? Because in a lot of ways, and I think talking about systematic racism what is the system and what is racism here in America, because that's really what we're focused on, where does it begin? And if it's between African-American and white people in America, it's where it really begins. It's where really all of racism issue stems from in America and the conversation comes from because for Hispanics, Mexicans, right, you start to have Cesar Chavez and talk of migrant migration, work reform. For Asians, Pacific Islanders, maybe it was World War II in the Japanese internment camps. Like there's a lot of different issues, different races, ethnicities, pardon, 
have had to encounter in America. So I just I, I, I like to set that as a framework when you say, okay, specifically for African Americans, black people, there is an issue. And there's a lot of baggage there. Abel, you had something to say. Yeah, it keeps going on, right? I, I want to listen. I want to let whoever, but I um, let me. I'll just try to. You know, I want to say that that I totally can understand as best as I can, and I want to listen about the pain that people have felt and the experiences that they've had, and and people not being able to reason with you like you were talking about. I, I had a one of my good friends, one of my good college friends. Shout out to Justin. Uh, he, I hope he's watching this, he and I had great conversations and I've been listening to him, he's, he's black, and I've been listening to what he's been saying and I've been really trying to empathize with him and I hear his pain. But what I have come to conclude, and while racism is, or systematic racism is absolutely not a myth, I, my hypothesis right now, prove me wrong, is that the democratic side uses it, uses that anger and uses that pain and they use it for their advantage. And it's not just with blacks, they do it with women, they do it with poor people, they go for the millionaires, and they go for the billionaires, and they go for the insurance companies, and it's Trump, and they're always pointing the finger at somebody. And I have learned a lot, I learned a lot from the Me Too movement, I don't wanna discredit a lot of these movements, but I think that there's some sinister, maybe this is me being a conspiracy theorist, but I think that there are some sinister things that are going on behind the scenes and they're using these people's goodwill to their advantage, and I've, you know, and I'm just gonna point out a couple of things that made me start to park, poke holes in what the democratic narrative is. We can start with um, COVID. Actually, no, let's start with Andrew Yang. Shout out to Andrew Yang, Yang Gang, Bernie Sanders. This is when I really started to get involved uh, with, you know, in, in learning and paying attention and sucked in. Uh, and I started to see how the democratic party treated these two candidates that you can make whatever argument you want, but I thought they had a lot of legs and they could help the democratic party a lot. But what did the Democratic Party do? They didn't care what the people thought, they just kneecapped him. Trump, you look over on the right side, say what you want, whatever. They hated him too when he started, but then he started catching steam and instead of kneecapping him, they went with the people. And I was like, oh, that's something to that, maybe. So I can ask a clarification. Yeah. I might answer a couple questions too, is like, did Andrew Yang in his campaign succumb to systematic racism? No, I really liked Andrew. Uh, he did not succumb to systematic racism, but he came to systematic somebody's keeping you down. And his was technology. He was like, technology's gonna keep you down, so we gotta come in and help you. Um, so, because so I, 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 know, I know you keep, you keep taking this to the, um, the Democratic side, but here's my opinion. I think both sides of, of government are gonna take advantage of whatever side they're gonna take advantage of to push their narrative. I think that's, that's ingrained in politics, and this is why I've been so against this two-party system thing. I, I don't think that it's efficient as a country to bring people together and help us move forward. What would you say to the person like myself that really doesn't care about politics, that criticizes both ends of it, criticizes media in general? Um, don't, don't get me wrong, I think media is important to push a narrative out into the world, but it's everyone's responsibility to, to take a step back and keep an open mind when they're having these conversations, right? To me, if, if, if someone has to take the conversation to the right or to the left, then to me, you haven't, you haven't dissected the information enough to have a really profound conversation about it. Um, 
because because that's what, like you said that's what it's designed to do this two-party system is designed to divide people into a Democratic side and a Republican side. Um, so in, in context to, to what we're covering here, what, what, would you, what would you tell the person that they criticize both ends, like myself, what, 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 type, of, um, what type of information would you give them in regards to this topic? Well, right now, you know, I... I, I with all this said, I've got to do a lot of research. Any friends want to talk to me, get in my DMs, come, come at me, right? You know, I'm bring it on. But um, I would say that that's a, for the most, and yeah, people are losing faith in Republicans. I talked to lifelong Republicans who are bouncing, it's happening. Yeah. But I think that for the most part is being perpetuated by one side, whereas the other side, I mean, the, the right side's not talking about, you know, being racist and doing things overtly, and I know the, the left, the left, yeah. But it, inherently, if they defend these actions where, you know, if President Trump wasn't going to denounce white supremacist groups, but he's going to, he's going to denounce groups like Antifa, I mean, in a sense, these news, these news media sources that are right-sided, like Fox News, they're inherently Trump has Trump the, has criticized the alt-right and the and far-right groups, But it though. did take a while. It didn't happen during his presidential campaign. During his presidential campaign, I remember, I mean, I was watching the news on both ends, and I was thinking, wow. I mean, they were getting played, what? too. They, huh? get, they were getting played, too. But, yeah, but, that, <laughs> but, that's, but that's what I'm saying is, is, is you know, at, at what point is a media source, you know, you, you, you say that, hey, the left media does this, but at the same time, inherently, the right media is doing the same thing. And um, not to steer, steer away from the, the uh, subject, but... Well, how so? How's the right doing it? Well, you know, I, I, think that's, I think that's what we have to focus on is, you know, I'm not a party representative. You're not a party representative. I think what people really want to hear is honest dialogue about problems in communities. Right. We all live in San Antonio. Let's actually talk about real systematic issues right. that are in this community. I, I think we were traveling down a dark yeah, path yeah, we talking were. about... A left and a right. Let's let's take some time to really look at issues in isolation and talk about them because otherwise, you know, we're not going to make any progress and right. we won't be able to, to hit on right. you know, yeah. the subject matter. Sure. Thank you, Brandon. Sure. I'm going to ask you a question. I opened with and like for you, I think that you know that was a lot of conversation specifically about protesting and racism and of course systematic failure. But then what else out there is being discussed right now? For you specifically, I mean, it, it needs to be talked about. Yeah, I, I think we, we have a, before you answer, Brandon, we have someone that's commented, is the broader issue for this discussion race or politics by Ryan? Um, Brandon, I'll, I'll let you kind of answer that because you, you were Yeah, and, and, that, and that's the biggest thing is let's not allow politics to um, distract us from the real issue, right? Let's talk about race. And, you know, I don't know how many more examples I'll have to give, but race is an issue. And if we can all agree to that, then we can start talking about ways that we can move forward. So would you all say that race is an issue yes. in, in America? Yes. I would, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So that's, that's the fundamental root of this movement, right? It's about making sure that a black life is just as relevant to a white life, and that's on the race side. Now, when you start bringing in subgroups of ethnicities, Hispanic, they are just equally as important, right?
but the way America was framed is that blacks were subservience to white, right? right? That's something that can't be refuted. And that behavior has continued over time. And it's affected our policies. It's affected, obviously, the way communities were designed by redlining. Yep. Uh, redlining is very important. And San Antonio uh, is one of the most economically segregated cities because of redlining. And that was by design by the federal government dictating where people based on their race could live. And that's important. That's something that still has not been undone. Mm -hmm. There are still deeds that show that someone cannot buy a property because of their race. And when, when was this happening? I mean, it's happened, you know, 60s on. So it still happens? And it still happens. I mean, if you look at deeds, you know, do some research on deeds, it's still in the language. So that's part of the oppressive nature that people are wanting to be liberated from. And it takes real leadership, not just at the federal level, but state and local leaders have responsibilities too. And for me, I'm living my life in a way to make sure that every race, every person that comes in has an opportunity for the pursuit of happiness. Whatever they frame in their mind they want to, they want to accomplish, let's make sure there's pathways. Mm -hmm. But we also can't ignore the obstructions along the way. There's real barriers. They may be invisible, but there's real barriers. I think you had mentioned technology. Right. You can even talk about the spatial divide. So that's another issue. You can talk about systemic inequities in education. So there's a, a many orders of magnitude that we can discuss, but I think the foundation of it all is race. And you know, there's a lot of layers that people will use through an economic distribution that will serve as a band-aid. But until we actually address race, it will bubble back over and over again. And we've seen this in history on a repeated basis. So I think we're at this point in 2020, well, by the way, lynching is still not federally illegal. You have the Senate just passed a bill, and now it's going to go to the House. Right. These are things that, unfortunately, are part of my family story. And we can't deny That's it. Crazy. But you have a lot of people that won't even embrace that truth. And while we weren't there physically, you can't undo it. But we have an opportunity as Americans now to push for better reforms. But it goes to your point about even understanding that. Most people at birth not even exposed to that. Right, people think racism sometimes is in the past because of how you can read about it in Texas history books when in reality, the last lynching in Texas was what, north of Houston, between Houston and Beaumont, Jasper, Texas, it has another name too, and that was six years ago. Wow. Abel, what's your, what's your take on the, uh, on the issue of racism and kind of, you know, touching on where the conversation is going, uh, going forward in the United States and, you know, where, where it, it almost feels like you said, Brandon, there people almost deflect that, hey, this doesn't really exist. I'm curious to see someone, someone like yourself, you know, from, I'm assuming you're an American man from, from San Antonio. Uh, where, how, do, how do you view that? I mean, I definitely would never say that it doesn't exist. I totally believe in it. And I, I believe that people have had some really awful experiences, like way worse than I've ever experienced. I, I believe that. And, and, and I guess, and I think that a lot of people, when they may question other things or whatever, they might, and I know this isn't happening here, but a lot of people will just jump on people, say you're racist, and then these conversations can't be had, or, or people kind of crawl into their holes 
and it just becomes very hard to have these conversations. And it's just interesting. I think, I think that regardless of what it is, regardless of, of what people believe about it, there's, it's very clear that there's media and there's powers at play that are using people's emotions to, to get their advantage. And, and it needs to be, whether that's on the right or left, you know, people need to be aware of, of that. And they need to they need to understand that that's you know there's there's like for example perfect example I did research yesterday we can Google trend this right now if you look Black Lives Matter big spike in 2016 big spike in 2020 um, racism big spike in 2016 big spike in 2020 uh, 2012 I mean if you go look at these trends in Google they all happen in election years uh, Rodney King riots was an election year and it's just like what is going on and so I'm over here thinking like before, oh, this is all good, you know, like, and then I start seeing these, these trends and these things, and I'm just like, I feel like I'm being played. So with that in mind, did you ever think that, hey, on the opposite end of that, there, maybe maybe there is people funding a movement to bring that out during during an election year, but did you ever think that the dormancy between those four years was toxic for this nation? And maybe at the point that, hey, an election year has come up, and these conversations are being had, they have to be had. That that it's not so much as hey, why why is there so much toxicity in in the in the news? It's more of people are battling a dormant disease for four years, and then 2020 hits, and now they're able to kind of bring that out. Okay. And to me, that's a good thing. Why is racism an issue every four or eight years? There's another way to ask the question, right? Like, is racism binary or is it? scalable is it on a spectrum or is it no pun intended black or white black and white i mean i think that the powers that be have a really big control over what people think so but inherently in saying that aren't you saying that racism isn't really a real thing absolutely not then then why take the conversation My, my my i'm trying to understand that why bring the idea that the media is doing this when it's it's not necessarily the media right these events are happening, the media covers it, but there's, there's still oppression that exists, even in years of dormancy that, that people aren't talking about it. I mean, for instance, what, what happened, um, I mean, in the, past, in the past two years, we've seen numerous African Americans killed by police, and people will protest, and then it dies down. But it just so, it, it just so happens to be that right now, here we go, we're on the 11th day of protest and things are still going strong. To me, that's a plus, right? Because we're, we're bringing the conversation to the table. A conversation that we should have had last year, the year before, the year before that, but they just died down. And, and from, what, from what I've seen is, these conversations are dying because there's people, I don't know if you've seen, there's a documentary on, not, on Netflix called Cop Watchers, but there's a, there's a documentary, uh, a, fi- a film, an individual who created this film where he goes out to the streets and he follows, I think it's like four individuals that focus on video recording police arresting people. And it's gotten to the point where police just arrest people because they're getting recorded and they're just saying, hey, you just jaywalked, even though they didn't jaywalk, but they know that they could hold them in a cell for 72 or 24 hours and then, hey, the dialogue is dead. I've had, dead. That, I've had that happen to me. And I've, that, I've and actually that, had that happen. And, that, and that's what I'm saying, right? You could, yeah. you could only... In, in, in years of, like you said, in the past three years, where has this news come out? It hasn't, right? But when, when can you 
you can't arrest a million people that are out in Seattle, right? For jaywalking, no. So this is more about the movement opposed to what the media is taking it, in my opinion, right? Because these are conversations that should be had every single year until things change. You're right. And things have You're not You're absolutely changed. right. What's different now? Is there, is there a difference with what's going on now? Is it just that for the first time in American history and contemporary past 20 years since the 80s, there have been mass protests in every state for the past 11 days? Is that the difference? I mean, I don't think I've seen, I've heard of it on such, such um, mass scale, but I, I, I think you've been quiet for a while. Could you say that again, any... Greg? Is that the difference? That is, what, is what the difference again? I'm sorry. Right now with protests and for protests being about systematic racism, from anything that's happened before, from Black Lives Matter spiking in 2016 or, or the subject spiking on election years, right? It's like... And, look, I, I think it's important... Um, that topic has always been there. Now, whether an individual subscribes to learning more or seeing the occurrences of a life dying, I think what has really created a groundswell of support is you see an individual who at first the police report said uh, that he was not cooperating. The police report further stated that uh, the former officer Chauvin did not have his knee as a technique to holding them down. So there were right. some inconsistencies there. If it was not for the restaurant footage, the show compliance, because again, you, you hear white America in some instances say, well, just comply, preserve your life. Right. So now that theory is being pushed to the forefront, right? So George uh, Floyd good point. complied, but he lost his life. And I think what really served as a turning point for eight minutes and 46 seconds, this guy casually had his knee on his neck while an innocent life was handcuffed. He had his left hand in his pocket and just whistling Dixie like he was just in a picnic. And, and, and at the end of the day, people started realizing there's a heavy discount on a black life because there's no way that you can convince me that if that was someone else's child, that they wouldn't be in an uproar. And that's why I go back to my original point is that we have to stay focused on the message. Right. The method creates distractions. And again, I've already said I condemn you know, the looting and the rioting. But as Dr. King famously said, rioting is the language of the unheard. There's been many of decades where you felt a semblance of progress, yet we haven't reached that finish line. And I think now the black voice is only so strong the white voice adds another layer of support, the Hispanic voice, and then you start seeing these groups saying, I'm unaffected by this, but this matters to me. Right. And that's how you start solving real issues is the group that typically is affected, they'll say, stop complaining. But the group that's not affected and they carry that cross as their burden, that's when you start seeing real change. And so again, the basic levels, why are we still acknowledging lynching as not a heinous crime? Like that just makes practical sense from my millennial brain. And that's a nationwide, is that a nationwide that thing? The or federal a... piece of legislation should ban lynching, right? I agree. There should yeah. be federal consequences Let's, for that. We should fight for that. And for we sure. should fight for that. But th that's part of the message, right? It's, it's this, if the black life matters, let's make sure that there's federal, state, and local language that supports that. 
let's move beyond the conversation and let's shift to action. And I think that is the most important thing and really why I want to talk about singular issues here is that as a community in San Antonio, what do we need to do to our ecosystem to ensure that every life is valued and we can move forward in, in greater harmony so uh, people can pursue their aspirations? I want us to come back to San Antonio because that's where we are. And I think that even within San Antonio, I mean, two thoughts, and one will leap us into the next part of conversation, but because of what you said, it reminded me, specifically within San Antonio, there's um, different sorts of programs, and I know not um, every organization is like apolitical, but I just happened to hear this on TPR's The Source last Monday, and it was a quote from Blackish of all shows. So the mothers from the soundbite are talking about what to do when you're black and pulled over in America. Be complacent. Know these four words. No, sir. Yes, sir. Right? So on and so forth. You have to do what you're told and you have to, what we look at, you know, Floyd in this case is doing, like, do what you're told. Don't go out of those bounds and everything will be okay. And, you know, Anthony Anderson's character and his father on the show say no, because how many times has that led to violence or to somebody's death or, right, you know, somebody yeah, like does, Sandra Bland, who you don't know what happened, but there's just a lot of, again, notion there that complacence or going along with what you're told in these situations doesn't always equate to having your life at the end of the situation. And what causes that? Right, again, we're, we're talking about racism in the this case. The issue at hand, yeah, it's, it's, it's that. So then where do we go from here? I feel like in, in one regard is, okay, there's 400 years of history to undo systematically, right? Going to documentation, you spoke about deeds already. Well, like, what else is there? I think it's more like that's where we leap from here. Where else is there? And then what is, what's happening about it in San Antonio? I, yeah, right. you'd, you'd probably know a lot more than any of us. I, I, I mean, I, I'll say this before, before Brandon, but I mean, I read, I read an article today uh, by the Rivard Report stating that, hey, there, there, there's language within a contract. I, I'm assuming it's a contract that the, the police union has with San Antonio Police Department. And the language within that states, I mean, they, they, they made a case where one officer got suspended or got fired or something happened. And then within four weeks, he was back in his position. When, you know, like, how, how does that happen? Those, those are, to me, those are systems in place that we're dealing with here in San Antonio that are very well, I mean, they're, they're, bringing, they're bringing us down. And eventually people are gonna feel a certain way and there's, there's gonna be, the kettle is gonna pop. And I think that's what we're experiencing today. Sure. And I think just some practical steps, you know, I want to be on the side of solutions. I, I think that it's not too much to ask that every police officer have a degree in criminal justice, right? I believe in this idea of community policing, but if you don't know your community, how can you effectively police it? We have to look at how to understand cultural accountability. So if you're in, and this is really race specific, if you're in a majority African-American community and you bring in a white officer who has total disengagement, right? Don't understand the background, don't understand the, 
the upbringings don't understand the day-to-day -day operation in this community. You're already going to have a defensive posture when things occur. And I think to... Because you don't have the deep cultural understanding. Because you don't have the understanding. And I think this is where there's an opportunity on the educational standpoint is uh, all police departments have to be more intentional with their recruitment. I think there's a space where you have to become more equitable with who is representing every community. Right. Because just like us having a dialogue, there's opportunities to strengthen a relationship. Right? That principle works regardless of what the, uh, you know, the relationship is. But in this case, you're talking about communities and law enforcement. I have some of the best working relationships with the police chief, assistant police chief, and so forth here. Because we've been able to have honest dialogue about figuring out ways to improve. And to Mal's point, as a city, we have to work on understanding the language in the police union contract and the power that it has there has to be some systemic dismantling to take place. I saw a statistic that 70% of individuals that a police chief has terminated has been rehired. So what that tells me is that there's more power in the union than the chief executive officers of that department. And I think there's fundamental issues with that. If there's been formal complaints about an individual, whether it's bad practicing in some respect, they should have the ability to reposition them somewhere else. Right. Because if you don't address it, the problem will continue to persist. And so I think that is a large issue. Is it's deeply ingrained. In understanding the role. A lot of people just think police chief, whatever he says, goes. Yeah, you may see it on the front end. But silently, a lot of folks who are, as they describe, the bad apples, right, still play a role and could reoccur in that incident. So I think, again, creating more de-escalation scenarios is we have to make sure that the right people are in place to lead in the right position. And there are tons of examples of great community policing. And right now, we have to be willing to look at our policies, what's guiding our actions, and be unafraid to make change, right? As individuals, we're hopefully striving to be the best version of ourselves day in and day out. So what we did at 18, we may not do in our 20s because we want to improve, right? So we can't have these systems that are so uh, set in their ways that they're unafraid to, to adapt. And change, for some reason, even though it's inevitable, has been a, a, a buzzword that makes people uncomfortable. And I think that we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's what this moment right now is, is calling our conscience. Do you really want to see America where everyone is treated the same at the basic level? Forget everything else. If you agree with that, why aren't we seeing greater outrage in the expressive action? I'm not talking about this extremist nature where we're belittling each other right. and we're destroying communities. I'm talking about the high level of intellect putting in place and say, we got a problem, the basic problem. And what I'm enjoying about this is more companies have said enough is enough. And what's interesting um, is that they realize the net effect that racism has had on the policies that they shape in the workplace, uh, the hiring practice to come into that respective job, 
and the opportunities that people have to get through life. And once you can acknowledge that, this is America. I, I know that we'll have the ability to overcome it, but first we must acknowledge it. Right. And I think, I think that's the period that we're experiencing right now. Like Brandon said, I think we're starting to enter a period of awakening or acknowledgement on these issues at the corporate level, at, at, I mean, society has spoken, right? There's protests out every single day in the masses and they're getting bigger. Um, and I think that's, that's where it's going. I think the conversation is being had and, and corporations are starting to understand these things and they're starting to say, okay, what can we do to help push this narrative into, into equality or where it should be? Abel, you have something to say. Um. Yeah, I'd like to ask uh, Brandon, because I feel like you might be more, uh, you might know. Um, so they're all talking about defunding the police and abolishing the police. That might be just some hooky conspiracy theory. But, you no, know, you're saying, you're saying, it. you're saying, well, it, yeah, we can get into that. But you're saying that you want more training and you want better recruiting, but we defund the police. What does that mean to you? How, what is the solution? And I'm going to just say one thing. I, I heard something before I forget. I mean, one of the police officers in San Antonio is like really passionate about jujitsu. It's like a non-striking, disarming kind of way of fighting. Uh, and he really thinks that all cops should be, should have a black belt in jujitsu kind of thing. And I was like, God, oh, that's really cool. So I mean, like what, what does defunding the police to you mean? I mean, it's, it's an idea that I disagree with. I think okay. there's a central role like for police. I think the police need to be transformed and there could be more revenue-based policing in terms of funding based on performance. I, I think we have to understand that most police officers um, occupy, in this instance, police and fire alone in our general fund of over a billion dollars take up 66% of just that funding alone. So that's a huge chunk. Mm -hmm. And so we have to keep that in perspective. And if we're investing that level of money in all of our police and fire we have to make sure that we have great accountability measures in place. So I, I don't believe in defunding the police. I think what's most important is to establish uh, the strategy that allows this police department, specifically in San Antonio, to evolve. And I think a lot of it starts on the union side, which is totally separate. Police department and unions operate separately, and we have to understand those roles. So, so the union's the one that's, that's causing a lot of the struggles, you think? Is well, the union is who negotiates their contract with the, with the city. And so, for instance, you know, the good thing about the last couple of years uh, was about fire, right? So now we're coming up where the next fiscal year will be about police. And it was long, hard negotiations on the fire side, but I think both sides had to give. And I think that's when you start re realizing that there's community solutions that are now in place. Look, I, I don't think we want to live in a space that becomes unaffordable, but there's basic services that the city must provide to every household that we expect, right? And there's a cost to it. So we have to make sure that two, if two thirds of our budget is already being allocated to police and fire, we can't afford to exceed that. And you may or may not be aware of this, but uh, health insurance for not only that individual that is, um, has chose that profession and their dependents fully paid for. Now, I don't know about you in 2020, but there should be some level of contribution 
from that individual. Because if the counter is, well, let's look at their pay. Well, if you look at statewide, they still have the richest benefits in the state. So from a financial standpoint, you can't use that as your case if other cities are still performing at a very high level. So I think, and in addition to the health, there's people with six or seven degrees that our taxpayer dollars are funded. You know, at mm -hmm. some point we have to start realizing, are these benefits a little too rich and out of touch with mm -hmm. society today? So these are the type of things that I think you can gain common ground if you build a conversation around it. Absolutely. And there's gotta be willingness on both sides to understand their position. Right. And I think that's important. So, I, you know, the idea of defunding police, I don't, I don't agree with that because they have a role in our community to protect and serve. Now, when that agency is not protected and served, you have to look at other measures to say, can this money be used elsewhere? Not taking all the money away, but if there's incentive dollars in place and they're not executing at a high level, you should have that local authority, just like a business. If I'm investing in something and it's not yielding the return I expect, I should be able to pull my money, right? right? There's a risk associated with that. So we have to, again, keep that mindset of understanding that there's measures in place, there should be measures in place to evaluate performance, just like we do in our personal lives, that should stay in place in this professional setting. Right, yeah. and, and I think it, it, Patrick, uh, Patrick Stewart looks like he commented, he said, defunding the police is not getting rid of the police, it's taking funding from militarization and routing that to programs and communities that aid in, and kind of touching on, on Brandon's exact point, that's what it is, right? We have a set amount of dollars that the city has approved every year to go towards, you know, the, these uh, these sectors. And I think uh, there, there comes a time where you have to analyze these sectors and, and determine, okay, do we need to do we need to do a reallocation? Do we need to reallocate some money and and you know perhaps taking some money out of out of you know the the, the benefits that you were saying makes sense. It makes sense, right? Because I mean. Everyone pays a partial health insurance plan. Go this, ahead, Greg. Just because uh, I just had a random question pop up, and this because I'm thinking of if we look at what sort of like policy, policies or allocations are misappropriated or abused because in some way lead to racism. Like that makes sense when we think about what does it mean to dismantle the police in some way, right? Like. This, looking at systematic issues one by one and dismantling a problem with that issue and moving on, right? Instead of like just defunding. Right. I, I mean, think the rhetoric is dangerous. I think, I think the rhetoric that a lot of people are using for defunding and, and abolishing, I don't, I think that it should change to transform, yeah, you know, to, yeah. to rebirth, you know, like it should, uh, it's a negative thing and, and it scares people because then you got people, you know, and, it, and, it's, and I understand, you know, I, st I, I wouldn't kneel for the flag in 2016, but today I, I probably would stand because to me, and I could, it's crazy to think this, but it's like I think, and again, I don't want to get into all of this. We might be going down a dark path. If we want to change subjects, let me know. But what I'm seeing and what's scaring me and why I'm starting to stand up for America is because I'm seeing people bend the knee for the flag. I'm seeing people bend the knee for each other, and I'm seeing people... Um, you know, riot, tear things apart. So let me, let me understand what you're saying is people bending the, during the national anthem, you don't agree with them kneeling, kneeling as that's going on. I think that, is that what you're saying? I think that could be a way to de desensitize people to the American flag 
but I think, I think there's the, a better way to handle that protest. I mean, but maybe I don't how, know what it is. Well, I, I would say this. It's, it's easy if you are unaffected to suggest doing something differently, right? But the same flag, and, and I hate that it's even being derailed to the flag, but I'll, I'll right, address right. something. So a great example was Drew Brees gave a statement, talked about the flag, right? And it just sent the black community in uproar. And here's why. The same flag that people fought for in World War II, Vietnam, and other wars on behalf of America, they were American during that war. But when they came back, they came to a space of, of colored only, white only. So you have to keep in mind the black experience and why that flag is worth fighting for. And, and why people may have a disagreement with Colin Kaepernick's method. You have to remember who gave him the plan of action. It was a military veteran that said kneeling is not disrespectful. In fact, you kneeling is giving me a liberty of what I fought for, gave me that space. And again, the distractions happen when we don't want to have difficult conversations. So kneeling and calling every interview, you can go back. He said, I'm bringing attention to police brutality in America, the unfair practices that black people and brown people are having and experiencing with police. And again, while you may disagree with the method, the, method got, the message got lost because of people not wanting to address the real issue. Shout out to Nate Boyer, by the way, <laughs> if anybody yeah, knows who I mean, he is. Like, like Brandon said, it's, it's, it's always, in my opinion, it's always a deflection, right? They're not talking about the real purpose. Why are people kneeling? People are kneeling because there is something that is not being talked about. It sounds like it's experienced racism, right? Like, yeah. okay, I, I don't think we should even talk about this unless we talk about racism we've experienced. And I, I you and I are Hispanic. I'll be honest, everybody. I'm white. I'm a gringo. I get all that love, but I've gotten a full ride scholarship because I'm Hispanic. So I mean, I've gotten the best of race, to be honest, man. Like, it's but you haven't experienced question racism. for Abel, because not I, in a negative way. I know, I know, Greg. You probably experienced something like this. Um, I mean, in college, I experienced. I had a shaved head, and I was spending a lot of time at the pool. I probably got pulled over more than four times in a span of six months, and I was thinking, man, what's going on? What's going on? And what kind of car were you driving? Well, I was in a Volkswagen Golf, which is nothing. I mean, I, okay. but the thing is, I had a shaved head. I was Hispanic, and I was really tan. And yeah, I mean, these guys, and I'm, and I'm to the point where I think I asked one cop. I asked a police officer. I was like, do I just look gangster or what, man? I was like, I'm honestly jamming out to the format in here. Like, <laughs> That's so funny. And, um, but I couldn't imagine. I mean, at that point, I said, you know what? I need to grow my hair back out, and I need to do these things. I could not imagine being, being you know, that if, I, if I was African-American. I can't change anything. Hmm. And could you imagine waking up every day after experiencing those four times you get pulled over? Could you imagine waking up, you know, afterwards and saying, well, I can't change anything. What, what do I do? What do I do? And there's nothing you could do. And your only option is? kneeling kneeling during the national anthem let's get the attention so I, i'll pose the question to you abel because I, I i've experienced something like that and, and 
Brandon, I, I'm assuming you've probably had some sort of experience in your past. Oh, plenty of them. Um, give it, give us one case, and then we'll move to Abel. But I definitely, I want to hear, you know, firsthand what 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 you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll go back to even to um, middle school, and uh, this was so I was in private school at sixth grade at uh, Trinity uh, Christian Academy, private school, right? Um, the unfortunate thing about my experience has always been the only one, and that's tough. And I would ask, you know, when's the last time y'all been the only one in a space, right? Um, so sixth grade, and, you know, in terms of performance, earned all A's all my life, an A average, right? Uh, so, but I noticed a pattern of this white male teacher. There was two black kids in the class and on several incidents we would always get held back now we had 22 kids in a class we sat across from each other and we were always the one when we were having constructive conversations they got called out you're talking too loud and so this this pattern started picking up and i began to understand really the skin that i'm in like wow this this is creating some pathway issues for me because I'm getting held back. And so I had these conversations with my mom and I said, I think, you know, I'm having. This is, this is the first time you're experiencing something like this. Well, I can comprehend it. Right, right, right? you're understanding So it. this is in an educational classroom setting. Right. Right, where this teacher, and it, it availed itself that this individual was a racist. But think about the trauma that comes along with that where an individual, um, you know, continues to call you out, really tries to chastise you in a public setting. At six, sixth grade, you're still trying to find your footing, try to right. understand who you are. That makes a life, lifelong impact. It is. And, and good thing about the black race and just my family is what's rooted in us is resiliency. Fast forward to the next year uh, with a friend and I, uh, now I switched to public school. Um, I was an athlete and went to uh, a district track meet. So in seventh grade, you're not driving. And me and my other friend, who was African-American, uh, we were waiting on his mother to pick us up. So it was me and him sitting on the steps. The crowds and schools had already left. She was running behind. She was a teacher coming from her classroom, one side of town uh, to the central part of town. And there was just one cop here. And we were just sitting down on the steps and he said, you N-words need to go somewhere. Seventh grade, wow. just sitting there. Haven't said anything, just sitting down. The sun is beginning to set. And he said, you N-words need to go somewhere. I mean, so for me, those are the difficult conversations that every race doesn't have to have at a kitchen table. You don't have to sit right. down to understand the relationship of people that see the worst in you just well, because of your skin. What did you do? Well, seventh grade, I was, I was fearful for my life to understand, okay, what are we supposed to do? So luckily, 10 minutes later, uh, my friend's mother came. Yeah. We share with her the situation. And again, as a black woman, there's really not much confrontation she can create, right? Because she knows as a black professional that there's, there's issues there as well. We're seventh grade, so of, we haven't yeah. got to that space. Now, what would have really been helpful if we would have had a white person 
to put that police officer in his place and say, you know what, you wouldn't treat my kids like that. Why are you treating them that way? Right. But even then, that's risky because of his authority. It is, but at the end of the day, I believe this issue is going to get solved because the ones that are not directly affected are getting engaged in this process. Okay. Right. And learning, just learning to be involved. Absolutely. And I think you're right on that. And I think that's, that's the message I think that's being delivered here, Abel, is that they, there, there is a calling for people to get involved that don't really understand or can, can, can relate to the, systematic, the systemic issues that people deal with in terms of oppression based on race. And people don't see it. But there is a lot of, in my opinion, it's a lot of closed-mindedness to the idea that, hey, you know what, if, the, if there's someone out there that, like, if you would have had a, a white person stick up for you guys that day, hey, that's one step towards the greater good, right? Now that these movements are happening, to me, the bigger thing, the, the, the greater thing to do for the greater good of humanity would be, instead of everyone complaining and saying all lives matter or saying all these things to deflect, from the actual issue of the United States would be that, hey, you know what? Let's, let's, let's put this subject on a pedestal and let's, let's bring this to the attention of the people that are really in charge, right? Because right now, everyone who's oppressed needs an advocate. We, we need, a, you know, the African-American community needs an advocate, in my opinion. They need that because that's ultimately, the more people that are involved from all races, then that begins to make things very real for these lawmakers. And until, until we get there, and it, you know, that's just the federal level, state level, local level, I think the more that people are talking about the real issue that's at hand, which is oppression based on race, the more people that get involved in that, then the more that people are going to listen. Hey, let me just say this, because again, I'm, I'm an individual that really likes to uh, share messages of hope and unity. Uh, last week was very difficult just as a black man to watch all the matters unfold, right? It was, um, had me broken, had me exhausted, and really running out of answers. But I tell you, um, what started off as a very difficult week ended up being a very productive week because um, Make no mistake about it, very connected with a lot of white CEOs and rooted in that friendship um, lends itself a sounding board. And I had received so many phone calls from white CEOs in San Antonio that lead businesses that span beyond our county limits. What was interesting about that is there was a position that they wanted to better understand. And why I think it's important just to provide a directional path, I can't teach them about racism, right? right? There, there is some individual efforts that are required into this subject. But one of the things that was most important is that a conversation started. And, I, and they shared, and I share with them why it was so important for them to speak out. You can no longer just be not a racist. This society needs to know where you stand, and you have to be anti-racist. And a lot of them, for good reasons, were trying to couch this as a political um, matter, which has justified their silence. And I said, listen, this is not even about politics. This is basic humanity. And for the advancement of 
humanity, one must understand, are you gonna reject forms of racism? You know, when they come your way, are you gonna review your policies to make sure that you have a critical lens to understand how it affects all races? That gave me the hope to say, man, I've never had that experience before. And people sending out their messages internally and externally, that gives me comfort that we're moving into a new space, right? We're finally acknowledging it. And in order to solve a problem, we must first identify it. And that's really what has propelled me to wanting to come today because I feel like we're moving step by step in the right direction. Absolutely. We certainly appreciate you being here. Go yeah, ahead, absolutely. Abel. Yeah, I just want to ask you a question because, I mean, I, I just want to ask you, you know, devil's advocate, I want to, you know, come in here with the other question and I just want to give you the, the side to respond. And please do not take this the wrong way. I want to learn because I kind of take this other side and it's not against you. It's not anything. It's I'm hearing everything and I may be understanding, you know, I, I understanding that there's no way I'll ever be able to get it. But when I was a kid, I mean, I was bullied. I mean, big time. And I mean, I was sent to the back of the line all the time that you come into the class, you sit down and then people would come in and sit behind me and then they'd you know, push me to the back kind of thing. That type of stuff affected me as well. And, you know, I think that the argument that a lot of people, are, you know, or the, the reason, you know, what we want to try to communicate is people are just going to hate you sometimes, you know, maybe that's wrong. Maybe we can do that, but it's like, you know, you've got to, we've got to learn as a society to move on. It's a hater, you know, and maybe, maybe that's not the answer. Maybe we've got to, you know, try to come together with them, but that's kind of, okay, that's a hater, whatever, move, move on. Going to do my best to change the world and, and try to influence them in a positive way. Well, you know, um, that has kind of been my perspective of it because I have, I have also everything that people talk about from experiencing racism, those same feelings, those same things that carry on, you know, and, and ruin your confidence, ruin how you feel about your future and where you're headed. I've felt all of those same things. And so I think that, you know, I think maybe talking about the law and we can go into things. I mean, there's just a lot, there's just a lot, but that's, that's something that I want to get out there and I want to, I want to hear what your take is. Well, you know, obviously bullying is, is wrong and, and people have to work through that immaturity as a child. But I would ask you this from a race standpoint, as a white male, um, what laws in place right now discriminate against your advancement in society? I mean, I've had only had laws help me because I'm, I'm Mexican, to, to tell you the truth. I've only had you know, affirmative action. That's really been the only thing that's impacted me as, as somebody, or as, as, in, as far as race goes that I'm aware of. Um, but. So, so I think, you know, coupling, I think everyone has experienced some level of bullying in their life, right? Um, but couple that with, that's behavior, but then couple that with race. And so how you felt in that moment, just in isolation, just by being bullied, imagine being called the N-word and then pushed and then being so it's worse. It's it's another it's another it, level. It's of a multi-layer effect. And again, um, I think the I mean, the bottom line is that history tells us that when it comes to racism, there's an inherent fear of life at the end of it, and that death is real when you encounter a racist. It can happen because we've had 300, 400 years of it. To me, that's right. You can equate it to different feelings and emotions and sentiment, but life or death changes it. Right, so I think, I think with, the, with the message that we're on, I think um, 
it's important, right? How does America pave, pave the road ahead, right? And that leads us to the next topic is, yeah, how I, does America, yeah. I was gonna say, how do we, this might not necessarily be the next topic, but how, how do we get people to stop fearing for their life is a part of it. There's like ways to progress through racism and systematic racism and then a couple of the issues we've talked about today, but there's also, right, like how, how do we go beyond that specifically? Do, do you fear for your life when you get pulled over, if you were to get pulled over? And if not, I would ask you, I mean... I have, you and have. it was most recently. I mean, again, the understanding or the intentionality that you have to put your hands and you explain, officer, I don't have anything with me, that's not a conversation everyone has to have with initial engagement. So you have to really protect your life in the space that I don't have anything in the car, it's just me, and then you can ask for the reason for being pulled over, right? There's a, a level of nervousness based on historical experiences that's hard to escape. Just like you, you went back and talked about your bullying, those things stick with you. Mm -hmm. So the moment when I was in seventh grade and got called an N-word by a police officer who was duly sworn to protect and serve, that's, that creates some level of concern, right? And, and while one bad apple won't translate to the next individual, you don't forget those moments. You, you know, you never forget how people make you feel. Mm -hmm. And it's also you, like this, the sense and the feeling that you're not the only one who's experienced that story. Like yeah. There's a collectiveness that grows yeah, a part of that. And, and I think, again, the common theme is people are seeing this unfair, unjust treatment of black people in America. And whether you know somebody that's been directly affected, there's many of stories that have no political posturing on it that you can just see for yourself the video evidence. And again, I think the George Floyd situation, what was conclusive was this man laid on the ground for eight minutes and 46 seconds with a knee on his neck. And what was the reason for being pulled over? For forgery of a check i think right. that was the the basis of it i think i think that was so, i mean so, it was it was definitely it, i think i think he was he was pretty high too from what i understand well, he was acting he was and, whatever and, and whatever. that's and that's Just, the interesting thing about it right because there's a, a a faction of people that will try to find justification as to why he died right the first report medical report suggested that he did not die due to the oh yeah, that's bullshit the, yeah but it is right but you had these people start pushing, and there's an individual that is currently serving as the uh, Bear County Chair for the Republican Party that pushed this idea right. out there. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm grateful for the leadership of our governor who said, you're wrong. You know, don't push this type of narrative out there. Again, what I said from the outset is, your platform is a classroom. You have to be mindful of what you're teaching your students. And for her to suggest that this was a conspiracy theory, that speaks to the ignorance of an individual not willing to- Cynthia Brem is her name. Em em embrace the truth, right? So these are the things that, let's dabble in reality for a minute. Let's talk about the issue that is at hand. And you're seeing, this has been the largest demonstration, not just in America, but worldwide. People are sick of it. People in our generation are gonna be the change that my great-grandfather had fought for, my grandfather's fought for, and they just kept coming up short. But I think we're finally gonna get to this finish line. But we have to remain on the right side of truth. Uh, right. Basic 
human equality. And, right. They, uh, go ahead. I feel like there's a, a pause for self-reflection that can be had. For me, the biggest question is, like, what am I doing then? Okay, maybe first from a personal level. Like, what am I doing to combat my own racism? Right. Like, let's have a moment of... Um, I wouldn't call it racism. Maybe ignorance. Ignorance I think, or racism. I think when you say that you have inherent racism, I think that that is going to divide people. And I think that you should say, you should maybe reframe it as okay. you not knowing. Well, but I would say inherent means internally to him. So for him to say he had inherent racism, who are we to, this is true. to argue this is true. that? And, and I, I think for you to start revealing your truths is important. So creating a space to listen and understand is, is I'm here for it because I think we can help each other grow through it because there are those inherent biases that we all have. Right. Yeah. We all have them. I think semantics aside, I have to be able to discuss the things I don't know about to combat my ignorance. Like that's it. Like I want yeah. to combat my ignorance. But my racism in ways I don't understand might be revealed along the way. Right? Is that fair? Yeah. Right. I think that, that when I say inherent in me or maybe all of us is that there are things we don't understand and we have that ignorance. Right. And I mean, to, to that point, I think it's important. That's why I think it's, it's especially important, right? Because if you come from a background, whether, whether you're Hispanic, and I know there's a lot of people out there that are probably watching this, but they could relate to their grandmother saying that, hey, I don't want you bringing a, a black boyfriend home or a black girlfriend home, right? Like th that's something that Hispanics yeah. very well deal with. My and grandma still doesn't know I date guys. Yeah, well, I mean, these, so these are all things, right? And, and for, me, for me seeing, hey, you know what? There, there, are, uh, there are grandparents out there that are still very much alive and they see what's going on. Right. And I think it's important to, for us, the younger generation, to set the example. To say that, no, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm out. I mean, my family sees all the photographs I take when I'm out in a protest. They see everything, and, and, and I'm glad because maybe at that point, maybe my, gran my grandma doesn't have social media, but hey, maybe an aunt and uncle is going to pull it up, and they're going to say, hey, Mal's, Mal's over here shooting at these places. And then she's really going to start to think, well, shit, I lived my whole life thinking a certain way, and now my very own grandson is out there walking with these people, walking walk, you know, hand to hand. And then maybe that will inspire her to think a different way. And to me, so, so, so the story for that is, to me, I think as younger individuals, as, as the younger generation, I think we have, to, we have to really acknowledge that, hey, these things have existed for so long. And I think right now there is a platform that we could take advantage of and pushing the narrative to the greater good of humanity. And I think we have to be careful in the choice of words that we use, the the, uh, the message we, we send out, you know, for instance, if we're walking out in front of the White House, what messages are being sent? What messages are being sent to the people, right? We, have a res we all have a responsibility. Whether you think it or not, everyone has a platform. If you have a social media account, you have a platform. And I think it's important to acknowledge that, hey, just because you say one thing doesn't mean that you, that you don't agree with this no i think you got to use your platform and be very clear be very clear on what you're telling your people and and don't deflect from the idea that hey these things don't exist because they very well do and i think it's i think it's important to deliver on your on your message um for the good of humanity that's just my take on it as a side note because yeah, i know you've, men you've mentioned as a side note you've mentioned it before that you receive negative feedback because of what you share on social media my, the why do you still do it? 
I just started doing it. Okay. Yeah, I just, just started doing it. Why are you going to keep doing it? Uh, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing it. I, I think that a better way to build, you know, actual action, I think Facebook is a way to get tied up and wrapped up into things. And, you know, having things like this, uh, I, I would like to get involved in your organization. I think that would be something that is actionable and I can quit, you know, be about it kind of thing or something. You know, you can tell me where to go. You, I, I don't know what I can do. And so this is my first step in that is coming here and I want to be open to that type of stuff. And so that's what I would say, um, you know, and I, and I, I mean, maybe it's just my little bubble, but I have started having these conversations with more and more people and it's just, it's been nice. So. And, and that, that's great. I think conversations are important and what I would encourage everyone, and this is a question that I examine myself on daily, am I surrounded with people that reflect America? Do I have a diverse set of friends from economic class, from ethnicity standpoint, from an industry standpoint? That's important because what it does is shapes a better understanding of the world and the space that individuals operate in. And so that's really the challenge is to understand that too much of something is never good. And that's just a basic principle that I hope that we can all move forward with to understand that. So when you feel you're getting a little too hot, top heavy, whether it's you know, in my case, too many African-American friends around me. I need a deeper understanding, gaining more perspective. Whatever that topic is that I can't relate in my circle, make sure that I can engage them in a very uh, tactful, intentional way. That's a good point, Brandon. I'm glad you brought that up. I, 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 I think about that a lot, but I think your words put it into perspective. Go ahead, Greg. I was just going to add, I mean, there's an opportunity and bring it back to here where we are. There's an opportunity everywhere to have that moment in San Antonio and things open back up now and you can go out to wherever you're going to go. There's still a moment to have that pause and say, okay, what, what am I doing? And what have I done today? And while I'm out at wherever I am, right, I'm at the Pearl in San Antonio. What am I going to do now that I'm here to keep remembering what I learned? Mm -hmm. Right? There's always an opportunity of discussion to keep reflecting on it and um, evangelizing. Right? I mean, like this, so to keep that message going, to evangelize that. If it's, uh, I don't know if I am doing racist things. That's one way to look at it. But also just other binary issues. Those are black and white issues that expand beyond. I only believe in this, or I only believe in that. Can I have a discussion about it? Right? Like that's still the goal here. Right. I think what's interesting is we probably have all had our own individual experiences. Growing up, you know, you've always been told not to talk about three things. And I think these are the issues that we have greatest problems with, race, religion, and politics. Right? And so these things have been suppressed so far Big down time. to the subterranean level that when they rise up, people don't know how to handle them accordingly. And that's where, to your point earlier, that's where there's an emotional rise. Because you know, one side feels like they're not being heard, and the other side feels the same way. And, and so how do you find common ground that allows us yes. to figure it out? And I think at the root is there should be an advancement for humanity. You know, Mao and I connect through the Rotary Club of San Antonio. We're an organization that is intentional about diversifying our membership to go serve the community. Our whole focus is about service above self. So that gives us perspective of going into different communities, understand who the leaders are, understand where the needs are, 
And then for us as an organization to develop a plan, an action plan that allows us to make a difference. That, that, see, that's beautiful and that's actionable. And, and beyond the action plan and the strategy, you literally write in paper. But then this other layer of, okay, when I, when I diversify the people who are helping me help others, I am helping them learn about the others. And when I bring out others, diversifying those who are helping others, those being helped get to learn about the other people who are helping. It trickles, the ripple effect. And you begin to not fear somebody you might have feared before, right? Sure. Like, and, and so as we're pushing as a society, I think there's a majority support pushing for policy reform. The sad thing about it, it still doesn't change a person's heart, which is why I'm talking about actionable steps on how to improve relationships. We have to start looking at each other as brother and sister, right? Treating our neighbor as we treat ourselves. These are just the basic fundamentals that we've lost. And now tensions have gone so high where people are willing to have educational discussions on critical matters. But if you can begin to work within yourself, I always say this to my friends and family as a reminder, there's two things that we can control. It's our attitude and our effort. So as long as we're doing that to the maximum ability, we're setting the right example. Because I guarantee you, whether they're in your family or just in your larger circle, people are watching you. Even if you don't want to be a role model, someone is still patterning them life after you. So it's very important to hold on to those two attributes of your attitude and your effort in all that you do. Make sure that you represent, represent something bigger than yourself. Keep your last name at the forefront of your actions to understand that what I do will ultimately shape uh, my last name. And from a generational standpoint, that's the one thing I'm in pursuit of. I don't have kids now, but one day, you know, God willing, you know, when they're raised in the community, that I've done enough and their mom has done enough where they're raised in an environment and grateful because of our efforts. You know, that's the type of America that I dream about. That's what keeps me hopeful and optimistic about moving forward. But we can't dismiss the tension. There's real tension and at its core is race. And I'm, I'm excited that more people are having those lump in the throat moments where I don't know what to say. And it's okay. We have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You know, take advantage of that. And I'm glad that we can have civil discourse to better understand each other's posture in, in hopes that when it's all said and done, we have a chance to move to the better version of ourselves, One that is focused on humanity and not just focus on self. One that is bringing a community forward and not just on an individual basis. These are the ideas that I think are most important than any other political posture. We have to look at each other as human to human to understand how can I help you with your aspirations and conversely, how can you be helpful to my aspirations? That's the type of ideas that I move forward with on a daily basis. This is what I'll end with on, on this salt, on this it's a funny thought I had while you were explaining that. At first, it was a little sad, but then something else happened. And it was the thought that one day we're all going to be telling our kids about what's happening now and still talking about racism. It's going to be crazy. But then, out of that moment, after that moment of sadness and the realization that, right, there's still going to be something to talk about, a little bit more was are they going to be ignorant? And did we want them to be ignorant? No, we wanted history to not repeat itself. And that to me becomes aspirational again. 
That's why we continue talking about it. That's why we continue discussing it. That's why it goes down in history in a new way, in a way that can be discussed and reflected upon. Like that's my goal from here on out too. If we're setting up a new stage across business, technology, then into politics and socioeconomics and things like that where we get into reform. Okay, there's still a baseline of what to pay attention to. Right, Abel, I feel like you have something to say. Um, if I'm wrong. Yeah, I want to yeah. ask Brandon. I've just got, you know, these are, this, again, I'm, I'm forming my opinion on things and I've still got certain beliefs and I want to, want to ask you. So what would you say, to, and this is where I'm at right now, I'm, I'm believing, and again, this is all conspiracy, probably BS, but this is where I'm at in my research. And it's, where was I? I lost, I totally forgot. I'm going to come back to it in a second. But it was um, the, totally, I lost it. We'll come back to it. It'll come back in okay. a second. Yeah. Um, oh, yes. What would you say to all of the conspiracy theorists, like myself, who have a hard time? I understand. I want to hear the message. But they have a hard time. Not many people are going to be like me who are going out and having these conversations, getting past what looks like like some, like some, a coup, almost. It looks like, it looks like there is some people going, that are doing stuff right now that are trying to basically overthrow and I and we don't lump everybody with that we understand that but I think what a lot of people are afraid of is there's a sinister power that's using what's going on right now to their advantage and and to me that's one thing that I, I'm having a hard time getting past I'm hearing everything I'm totally hearing everything and I just want to I want to hear your take on on that so you know the the great thing about what God has gifted us is the ability to think right um, when you see control to the thoughts of other people as your basis for how you move forward, that really marginalizes your ability to create a space where you can contribute. And I think that it's important to understand how faith is defined. What you hear is ultimately going to shape how you your belief system and how you move forward. So you really have to be able to guard your ears against things, and, and you know when things sound foolish, mm -hmm. right? And to be willing to reject that or to at least go back and do your own independent research to understand how does their narr narrative really sit within the truth. And that's what I would encourage people is not to be so dependent on other people to contribute information to you, but rather take that mantle on yourself and do your own independent research because that's the important thing. I think that is the crux of the educational system that allows you uh, exposure to certain techniques that allows you to think critically and act diligently. Like we have to get back to the basics of, you know, putting more responsibility on ourselves to do research, to understand issues and become less dependent on those as you described that are motivated to push an agenda, right? So if you understand that they're motivated to, to push an agenda, you have to keep them in that finite space, that that's all they're gonna contribute is to fuel your emotions, right? So if you understand that, then that's part of you being able to maintain your control. So shift and get away from those that are, are fueling your emotions and just look at the details. Again, I, I don't get engaged in sensationalized news. I think that does nothing for the advancement of society. Mm -hmm. But what I like to do is take time to understand the real issue at hand. And a lot of people will get distracted by the symptoms and not focus on the root. So it's really important to understand root causes and figuring out the trigger points um, that they've created. 
I got you. What, do you, what would you say the root causes are? What would you, what, what would you say they are? Well, the, the, racism, this, the, the racism, you've said that, but well, what, what else would there in be? In this instance is people depending on other people to share news with them. Right. And I think that is the root issues that we've lost our way and social media has really um, exacerbated this issue because now you're in this space of expediency. Let me see who can share first. Is that really the first layer? Should it be, is it the truth right, right. before I share? But now it's about who can quickly get to you know, the finish line first, even right. if there's no truth to it. Uh, but again, I go back to saying you as the teacher of your platform have the responsibility of understanding what you're sharing. Do you wholeheartedly agree with it? If there's some questions, maybe you ought, maybe you ought to take a step back and not be so quick to send out. And this is just general thoughts, right? Sure. These are the thoughts that I layer myself before I form an opinion, because um, I want to make sure that it's well thought out, good reason behind it, and most importantly, I can defend my position. A lot of people take time to push information out and have no basis for their defense. And that ultimately cascades into a larger issue because once they're exposed and have no real rationale, now they moved on that issue and create other matters, right. which is let me talk about you personally and get off topic. And that becomes problematic. Absolutely. I feel ahead. like it's a part of what you preach is to slow down, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, slow absolutely. down, digest information you need to make the informed opinion. Because uh, then it's not even about what the conspiracy is. It's just, are you committed to the process of learning about what you want to talk about in a way that you stand by your opinion? And if people come at your opinion or, or, or disagree with it, do you have the right information that still keeps you armed with the diligence to stand by that opinion? I think lately I have been, but it's, you know, it's been, it's been stuff. I've learned throughout it. I've been, you know, I've gotten heated at times, probably shouldn't have, but, you know, I'm just trying, trying as best as I can to have an open mind. And, you know, I guess let me just kind of come, because I did do that. I did rationalize this. And if, you know, if we can poke holes through my logic right now, because I'm freaking scared, great. But, like, this is where it, what it came to. It started with the coronavirus and how it just, you know, things are going on. And it's like, I'm starting to, and I'm in the big, this is when I'm in my liberal bubble. Or, excuse me, I know that's a trigger word. We talked about that earlier. Uh, my democratic bubble. And I'm, I'm only hearing these people. So then I would go, you know, they're like, oh, my God, Corona, it's going to blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, it's just crazy stuff that they're saying about coronavirus. And they don't know. There's no way they know either. And then I just started saying, like, you know, guys, you know, we're going to have to start because I'm also a business owner. Right. Let's keep right. that in mind. It's like, hey, guys, we're going to have to start having some ethical discussions about when to open up. Right. right? Like it can't just be closed forever. You're a murderer. You're a murderer. Shut up. Like, did it, and it just like attacks, attacks. And I was like, whoa, like I'm a murderer. They're like, how can you sleep at night with these thoughts? And I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna leave. Right. So then, um, so that was Corona. Jobs go. You know what happens with jobs? When people lose jobs, leads to riots. And then the riots started happening. And then those same people that were screaming at me for having wanting to have an intelligent conversation to open up businesses are now out arm in arm, hand in hand, screaming passing these deadly germs around, which I, they could be deadly, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I don't want to discount anything, but to me, I was like, whoa. And then you've got people shutting down business owners, and then those same people are out there marching in the street, 
you have some political candidates that I have seen who are backed by some you know shady people. We can talk about George Soros or whatever, and they're releasing some of these these protesters from jail. They're they're pulling their bail, and it's just like to me, it's like the the sides are being drawn like really heavily. And I mean, it's it's it to me, it just seems very way more tribal than I have ever seen it. And that to me is something that's scary because, you know, I, I was pushed away from that group based on, you know, and that's what made me start thinking was because the minute I started having a free thought, the hive mind attacked. Right. And it was like, and, and I was like, whoa, what's, what's going on here? And here, it just seemed like that was a tactic to silence people. Here's, and that's how I feel. Here's one thing that I've learned in my, in my experience, you know, in, and I'll kind of give you my background my, in growing up. Can I get one of those toothpicks? Yeah, of course. I grew up and I was never I was never a confident person. I never spoke my mind. I had I had a good sports system and I understand I understood a lot of things growing up, but I just never spoke out about anything. And I was I was kind of pushed into the what I felt was I, I was pushed into this corner until until I graduated high school and I began bodybuilding and bodybuilding bodybuilding showed me a different side of hey what does it mean to to be a pillar of your community right because i had a lot of people just looking looking up to me but then i was like well how can i leverage this to really send a message so it wasn't until after high school that i really began to get confidence in saying things and putting things out to the world through those experiences there the biggest thing that i learned was that not everyone that you converse with are people that you're able to converse with. Meaning that if I put something out into the world, there's gonna be many minds that don't understand those things. And they're gonna come bashing it, or they're gonna come saying something else, or deflecting from it. And to me, that's okay. And I tell a lot of my friends that. They, they, they post things and, and they're entertaining conversations with people that are very one-sided. One, one and they don't, they don't understand what it means to really have an open mind. And um, me, like my advice to you is, you know, when, when, when you're putting things out, keep that, into keep that in perspective, is that there's a lot of people out there that they'll take this information and they'll take it, a, they'll take it as gospel, whether it comes from you, whether it comes from a news agency, wherever it comes from, they'll take it and they adopt it as their own and they push heavy on it. Because they, they, they just, I don't know if, it's, if they lack the, the, the intellect to kind of push, push forward and wanting to learn more on the opposite spectrum of what they're learning, or if it's just ignorance. Well, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I know that when I put things out, there's, there are many, there's many individuals that are gonna, they're not gonna see it from all angles. And I mean, it's okay. But to me, my most important thing is I don't entertain those conversations. If somebody puts something out there, I think of it and I'm like, okay, well, maybe I should reconsider deleting this because there's obviously a lot of people that are not seeing all angles of this that are trying to participate in a dialogue that really isn't a constructive dialogue. And I've, I've deleted posts before. People are angry. Yeah, because people, people are angry and they're emotionally driven. But at the end of the day, it's I don't put things out there to try to stir things up, right? I want to create a conversation that's going to be constructive. And if I see, you know, humanity, uh, humanity suffering at the cost of things, I'm going to backtrack on my thought. 
and I'm gonna think twice. Okay, well, is this is this the right audience that I could speak to? I think, and most of the time, it's not. We're in the United States of America. I mean, we're, we're everyone comes from all different parts of life, and I I think uh, I think it's important when you ha when you know you're using your platform to think about that. Is that is this where I want this conversation going? Is the message getting lost in what I put out? It is. All right, I got to delete this, or I got to take this off, or this isn't something I, I'm not going to try to convince this person, right? Because he, he obviously or she obviously doesn't doesn't understand what it means to have a constructive dialogue. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think about that a lot, right? Because I've I've posted some things that are that are pretty uh, they're they're what do you call it? Um, it, it rubs people the wrong way. This is robust. Triggering. There's some, yeah, there's some trigger stuff that I've put out there, and you know, at, at, there's times where I've had it deleted, and there's times where I've actually had people respond, and I'm like, okay, well, cool, I could actually have a conversation with you about this, and then you know, we move forward. I want, I want people to be able to add to this. Yeah. Is what everyone can do right now when you have different opinion coming from news, social media, your friends and your family is what, like, we already talk about slow down a lot, but also just ask yourself some of your own guiding questions. Like, am I putting human life first, for example? That's a good one. Like, you can ask yourself in a dark room that question and get an answer that you should be happy with. And if the answer is no, then you have to ask yourself why and then go back from there. I would say for 95% of the people out there and hopefully 95% of the people listening all together, it's that, yes, I'm gonna ask that among other questions and that sort of sentiment first. Like, am I keeping human life the most important priority in this issue I'm thinking or talking about? Mm -hmm. And then behind that, what's more important? It's not life. Is it about money and finances or racism? And to me, that always still goes back to how is that hindrance in that field or whatever it is keeping human life at bay? That's what ends up happening. Right. Economics, the, society, right? Just at the end of this, and again, I'll, I'll go back to how I open this conversation, is at the, at the end of this, this is a discussion more so. It's not about politics necessarily. It's not about anything beyond how does America get ahead by putting humanity first? And that's why I wanted to bring Andrew you Yang, huh? humanity first, <laughs> my but, boy. I mean, but that's that's the truth, right? I mean, we get we got to think of it. We're we're at a very vulnerable place in the United States right now, and I think that you know it could tip one way or it could tip the other. And at the moment, there's a, there's a struggle between the good of the country and the evil, and, and and where it's going. And I think that if we if we don't have conversations like this. I think we're, we're going to get lost in the message and, and things are just going to go bad. Yeah. Now, what do you want to say to people our age? What do you want to say to people listening like us? Uh, man, I want to say a lot of things, but mo most of all, it's, it's, I think it goes back to the message that I said before. It's pay attention to what you're putting out there. And if, yeah, if, you know, it's, it's fine to feel in tune with a message that is triggering to people. That's okay. I 100% feel that, hey, you should be able to put this out of the world and have these constructive thoughts or have these constructive conversations. But you need to acknowledge that there are people out there that are going to turn the tide on what you're putting out. 
And, and you, you have to be okay with taking a back step, whether it's opening the mind a little bit or taking a back step and saying, hey, you know what? Maybe this, is, this isn't the right crowd to talk to yeah. because there's nothing constructive about what's happening here. And I think, I think the lot, and again, this is kind of why I wanted to create this and put this out into the social media world because I was reading a lot of things for the past three weeks where, you know, it was veering one way, it was veering another way, and then it just got really, really, really ugly. I started seeing friends from high school, friends that I grew up with, just, you know, just being very, saying very hurtful things and, and just nasty things. And I'm like, man, well, that's not constructive. And I, and I knew that, hey, we have to change we have to change the dialogue that people are having, right? People are just sharing things and then attacking. Sharing and then attacking. There's no real conversation. And, mm. uh, and, and in order for, like, how I understand this is in order for you to have a constructive conversation, you have to take away from everything else that falls outside of the better of humanity. It's always gotta be humanity. What's better for, what's better for the United States and the people of the United States? Right. And, and you know that in that that's policies that are enacted at the executive level that are enacted in in our Senate in our house um, monetary policy that the Fed puts into place right we think of the dual mandate that they have right low unemployment keeping infl inflation in check um, there's been many criticisms on the Federal Reserve for the past five years I mean since Bernanke's day right everyone's always saying why is he flooding the, flooding the economy with, with money, right? He's cheapening the dollar. But at the end of the day, what is he doing? He's not just flooding the economy. He's saving lives. So we have to take, you know, we have to, we have to think outside the box, not necessarily think of, you know, these policies are put in place and they do something to the world. No, we have to think of it. Does it make, does it make sense for humanity? And if it does then as hard as it is, that's probably the right move. Um, that's just my take. I mean, my, my generation, I, I have a lot of friends out there that are, you know, they're very open-minded and I'm very grateful for that because I'm able to have these conversations. And I wouldn't have invited any of you guys if I didn't think that this was gonna be a good conversation and I feel that it was. And um, yeah, my, my message to, you know, the people out there that are in our generation is just to keep an open mind. Keep an open mind and think of humanity first. It's not about politics. It's not about how you feel about a certain policy. It's, it's what makes sense for the people, right? Does it make sense to pass a bill that keeps more people, you know, from starving or pass, uh, pass you know, policies that keep people from having to go to the hospital? Then maybe, maybe it is, right? And we didn't, nobody understood, you know, coronavirus, this was a new thing. But I, I don't think that, that it's right to to attack the people that were putting these policies in place to potentially save lives, right? Because they're thinking about humanity first. And that, that should be at the, at the center of any policy is what's the betterment of humanity? <laughs> any any uh, closing remarks before we, before we uh, close? I, 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 it's, yeah, I just, I just feel like it's just going to keep the conversation going, but I mean, we'll why, don't, why don't we give a last message? So I gave my yeah. last message, Brandon, why don't, why don't we give your last message? You, you're, you're a pillar of our community and you know, a lot of people out there and I think there's a lot of people listening and that look up to you. And I think, uh, I think taking that moment to, to speak to them would be, would be good. So. Well, Mal, I, I appreciate it. I think what 
um, is very important, hopefully this was conveyed today, is the importance of diversifying uh, your networks from uh, race, uh, space, and um, income perspective is number one. Um, take a deep assessment of who you surround yourself. You know, are they adding value or are they detracting uh, from your life? I think that's critically important. Um, and, and thirdly, um, don't be afraid to engage in difficult conversations. Now, with that being said, you have to be mindful of your tone and approach, right? I think if you ever want to provoke someone, you know how to do that. But if you really want to engage someone, there's a technique to that as well. And I think, again, our generation has the ability to overcome um, things that our preceding generations were unwilling to do. And it could have been towards redlining other um, policies that were in place that disallowed them to engage. But we don't have those levels of, of issues. And you know, at the community level, we have to remember um, that's where the real change happens. You know, we can get distracted and we can really invest all of our time at the federal and state. But if we learn how to make deeper investments into our own communities, uh, where everyone feels valued, everyone is on a pathway to aspire to achieve whatever they have put forth, man, that's, that's heaven on earth to me, right? And that's what I'm interested in fighting for. So regardless of one's race, I'm interested in, in your future. I want to make sure that I can be a value add to your life to ensure that you stay on track. Those are some of just the basic things that an individual that can take up issues that unaffect me are thinking of. And that's why I want to encourage people is to look beyond your own individual bubble and be willing to get a better understanding of things that don't affect you. But how they affect the large society should be a greater concern. So those are the things daily I'm practicing is trying to empathize with other people that I may not have direct understanding with. And again, that goes back to my responsibility on how I spend my time to better understand on issues. And that's what I would encourage everyone to do is to get a greater handle on uh, your opportunity to do more teaching and learning and less on dependency on other contributors um, via social media or other, other channels. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Uh, Brandon, go ahead. Well, that was incredible. I, I can't say anything better than that. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, it was awesome. And I think it's just the same message. It's take control, you know, for, for yourself, take responsibility for the, what you believe and, and, and all of your actions and where you are in life and try to, try to move forward better, but also at the same time, you know, make sure that you're not just creating this wake around you that's hurting other people. And, you know, at least don't move so fast that, that you're not willing to step back and make sure that that wake isn't too big kind of thing. I think that's Thank you, Abel. Yeah, listen, like listen right now. Listen to everything, to everyone. Listen all around. I think that's I mean, the biggest takeaway. And that's what we're doing here today is listening to each other and getting other people to listen to us and so on and so forth. But if you can't listen to anybody, then you're fucked. And that's what it comes down to. You're fucked. And I, I just, uh, royally, on all levels, and as positive as I, uh, as I want to be about everything, and positivity comes out of my statement now, too, you have to have a moment of realization to say, 
things are pretty bad for me or for people I love or for people I know. And then you can ask yourself what causes that. And then you get what we're talking about today in so many different ways. Open discussion and finding a solution that makes sense for the people that surround me. And we can continue to do that. Biggest takeaway of tonight. And what we're doing here all together, right? Because this isn't the only discussion we're going to have. It keeps going. And we talked about a lot today. But when we talk about the American divide, we haven't scratched the surface. And we put a few dings. Before I forget, because... So one of the benefits of what we do here today, how, how can people find out more about what you're involved in or you specifically on social media or website, things of that nature that make sense to bring up right now? Sure. So I'm not big on self-promotion, but what I will tell you is issues around youth education and underserved in our community, I'll be on the front lines. Um, but Brandon Logan, um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, uh, these are opportunities where I share my thoughts, um, expose you to the organizations that I'm fighting for on a daily basis, uh, along with my own organization. And I think it's important for us to, again, um, find ways to serve interests that are bigger than yourself. Right, so it sounds like you personally offer, to some extent, mentorship too. So that's, I, think, I think that's a responsibility of all of us, right, yeah. is when you learn, you teach, and when you get, you give. Uh, the great late Dr. Maya Angelou had taught me that practical lesson, and I try to live that out on a daily basis. I like that. All right. Well, I want to thank everyone that, that was watching tonight. Um, I certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. I appreciate you guys sharing. If you haven't shared uh, this video, I ask that maybe you share it after it's published. I feel that again. I feel that this is something something that needs to um, needs to kind of be talked about within society. Right? We're hearing so many things. We're we're feeling so much division within um, within everyone in our in our social media community. I know I'm not the only one experiencing this. I've talked to many friends that are experiencing the same thing. So I ask that you share this video and you 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 know you you keep an open mind to the dialogue that was had today and that hey. Ultimately, this is this is more about the the uh, humanity issue, right? And um, thank you, yeah. thank you to Brick. Yeah, thanks to That's Brick it. for MJ allowing us to use the venue. Uh, again, super cool. Any Come of party uh, here, any of the thoughts and the conversations that were had here, please understand that this isn't uh, this wasn't sanctioned by Brick, but Brick did extend an opened an open mind to allowing uh, Guru Pisadio and and the gentleman here to actually have a conversation and actually create a podcast for this and uh and, and i can't express my gratitude enough again it, it this these aren't thoughts that were expressed by brick again brick just allowed us to use this space and i think that's very important and for that i'm going to include a link down below uh where you could go in there and you could you could donate to the actual project if this venue hadn't come in come in play and we have two two great producers that are upstairs right now and uh if this wasn't if this didn't happen, then I, I wouldn't have been able to do it alone. I'm usually a one-man production team, and, and I'm, I'm just truly grateful for Brick stepping outside. So thank you. Um, that concludes our show today. Thanks for tuning in. Again, share it if, you, if you've seen it. We're going to publish it here shortly if you're watching this on YouTube. If you don't mind hitting the like button and share it with a friend. Um, other than that, I hope everyone has a great week. And, uh, and again, stay, stay safe and um, keep an open mind. Thanks again.